I would like to remind you that this is a, a break in our series of our messages on the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, but in a way it is not. Uh, the next message I plan to bring about that would be on Revelation chapter 2, the last section to the church for Pergamum. And in that message, in that letter to that church, we have a warning concerning uh, the heir of Balaam. And so for today, I want to bring a message that has to do with the cursings that Balaam would have brought upon God's people if God had permitted it. And so we'll learn some things about this. This is a little bit of a break from what we have done. I'm not going to go verse by verse uh, through these scriptures, but I will go chapter by chapter. I have a lot of scriptures to share with you, but it has to do basically with this. We're going to be facing a new year, but this new year should be faced with out fear, because we have learned from the scriptures that God is able to turn all the cursings of this world into blessings. And so we need to have the same courage that the people of the Old Testament would have if they were there to receive the message of Nehemiah. God can turn the curse into a blessing. And so with this, I would like to give you my main thought, my main idea. This is the doctrine I want you to go home with. Nothing planned or invented against God's people, devised to bring them to eternal destruction, can be successful against us. Nothing that the world can do can actually bring us to destruction. And so the very curses that the world would like to have against us, things that the devil would like to convince the world to curse us with, they, they themselves, they, those cursings are going to be turned into blessings. They will actually prepare us even better to be in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. All things are going to work together for our good. So we are reminded at this time that we should present ourselves to God for service in this new coming year. We should not enter this year with fear, but enter it with courage. And so, we're going to look at a man that many times when people read about Balaam, they get real confused about it because when you read in Numbers chapters 22 and 23 and 24 and 25, it sounds like Balaam is quite the man of God. It sounds like he is a prophet of the Almighty. He speaks with God and God speaks to him. And many times people are confused. Well, I'll tell you what. You're not going to find Balaam in chapter 11 of Hebrews. He's not in the faith of, you know, the hall of fame when it comes to those who walked by faith. He is actually mentioned several times in the New Testament, but it's always in a way of beware of the way of Balaam. Watch out for what Balaam has done. He is a man of greed. He is someone that understands things about God and willing to curse God's people for the right price. So we have to be careful about that. He is actually a prophet for hire. We should, in our own congregation, be aware of someone or any source that says, for the right price, I will curse anyone. So beware of that. It is in no sense that we are kind of uh, going into what we have studied in the book of Revelation, uh, what this is a real topical message, and I want you to take away something completely separate. We'll get into what the heir of Abilam later. What I want you to take away from this is, God will not let you be cursed. God will not let you be cursed. And so let's go through these passages real briefly. But in doing so, I need to give you a backstory, a little bit about who Balaam was. Now, it has been pointed out that just before 
our people, shall we say, our ancestors, the, the children of Israel, before they went into the promised land, they were just about to embark upon that when they came to the area where Midian is and where Moab is. Now, these two places are right side by side, right on the east side of the Jordan River before they enter into the promised land. So, King Moab, his name is Balak, saw the children of Israel coming in, and he was just panicked. I mean, he saw how many people were coming. But he panicked, and he did not need to. You see, Moses had already been instructed by the Lord that says, Do not bother the children of Moab. You see, Moab are the descendants of Lot. Now, Moab had their own problems. You see, when Lot was delivered out of Sodom, he escaped by the skin of his teeth. But he went out, his wife, his wife looked back, turned into a pillar of salt, but he was able to escape with his daughters. This is where he went up into a place and hid, and his daughters thought among themselves, we don't have a man with us, and so some nasty things went on. They seduced their own father, and the oldest daughter and Lot birthed the country of Moab. Now what we have from that is a whole people that has gone into the way of worshiping Baal, which is very corrupt. It had to do, the corruption has to do with the way they worship the Baals. It had to do with fornication, had to do with having the priestess and women of their country um, become hired by uh, the Baal worshipers, and they would then have this type of illicit relationship with Baal. And uh, this comes in really important later on, but it is something that Moab did not have to worry about. He picked a fight that he shouldn't have. And so what happened is that this Moab said to himself, I can see that these people are a great danger to me. And the princes that he was serving with said this to him, I have noticed that there are so many of these Israelites that they are going to come to us just like an ox would eat grass. They're going to mow over us. Just they're going to walk over us. They're going to consume us completely. But what Moab, I mean, what Balak then did was that he decided to hire someone to curse him, to curse the children of Israel. Now, this is what Balak did. He sent dignitaries over to the east in Peor where Balaam lived. And he said this, I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Now, does that sound familiar to you? That's exactly the type of promise that God gave to Abraham. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And so now Balaam has this reputation of doing things that only God can do. He is a diviner. He is a soothsayer. He is a prophet for hire. And so we need to understand that now Balak is trying to find someone to act as a medium between God to turn God against God's people. Now, Balaam, being a prophet for hire, negotiated from the very beginning. Now, I recommend that you read Numbers chapters 22, 23, 24, 25. They're very revealing. But I want you to see how he negotiated these things. He would tell the people representing Balak, let me go ask God to see what he wants. Let me see if I'm able to do this. And of course, it's an amazing thing that God should even speak to a man like this. But God has his ways, do we not? God has his ways. It is a marvel to us that God is able to do these things. And so God told Balaam, do not go with him. Do
Do not curse them. Don't do anything. And so Balaam comes back and tells the emissaries of Balak, I'm sorry, you could give me all the gold in the world, but I can't do what God says I can't do. And that's, you may say, well, that sounds like a good man. No, I think that sounds like a man that wishes he could, but he can't. And so when they went back, these men told Balak, I'm sorry, he didn't come. And so you know what Balak did? He sent even more important people and said, I will give you even more things. And so they went back and talked to Balaam. Balaam says, ah, let me go ask again. Do you see? He knows what God has already told him, but now he goes back. And this is what the Lord tells Balaam. If they come and ask you one more time, you can go. And so you know what Balaam did? He went right to them and said, he said, I can go. Now, that's not what the Lord said to him, right? And so what happens is that Balaam packs up all his things. He plans to go. Now, you may have heard about the incident concerning his journey to Moab. You know, you've heard of the talking donkey. Well, this is the case. Balaam starts his journey. He gets his donkey, which he's had for many years, his beloved animal. He's traveling with two of his servants. And even now, his journey has angered the Lord. Because the Lord said, you know, I said if they ask you again, you can go. But they did not ask. He just assumed that, they would go, that, they would, that he was able to go and make some money. And so as they journeyed, God stood in the way of Balaam in the form of an angel. And I believe that probably this was a, um, a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's my opinion. I couldn't tell you for sure. Because for one thing, at the end of this episode, Balaam falls down and worships him, and the angel does not correct him. We have seen many places where if people fall down to worship angels, the angels correct them right away. They say, no, don't worship me, you worship God. But this particular viewing of the angel did not correct Balaam in this. And so what happens is that the donkey carrying Balaam sees the angel of God with a sword in his hand, and the donkey immediately goes off into a field. And Balaam, not seeing the image of the Lord, beats his donkey, gets him back on the path, and they start again. This time, they go through a, a, to a, through a narrow pass where there's walls on either side. And the Lord appears again with his sword. And the donkey pushes over to the side and crushes Balaam's foot. And he curses and beats the donkey again. Well, later on down the path, there is a place where the donkey can either go this way or this or left or right, and he can't go any place, and so the donkey just lays down. And then Balaam gets really upset. He starts to take his staff and starts to beat the donkey. And you know what happens next, right? I don't know if there's any other place in Scripture that actually says where God has made an animal speak other than like in the Garden of Eden where the serpent spoke to, to Eve. However... The Balaam, you know, uh, the Lord opened the mouth of this donkey and the donkey basically says, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now, I don't know about you, but I would probably be awestruck. But Balaam just responds back to the donkey. He says, what have I? He says, <clears throat> because you have made a fool of me, I wish if I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. Now, I don't know what's stranger, what he said, or the fact that he's actually talking to this donkey. But the fact remains is that why was Balaam upset? Because he made him look like a fool. He had his servants with him, and yet he would not obey his orders. But at that point, 
the Lord reveals himself to Balaam. Now this is what the Lord says to Balaam. Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. And so I'm going to give you a good definition of what irony means. Have you ever used the word irony? Well, that's ironic. I'm going to give you the definition of what irony is. Irony is this. Threatening to kill a person or a donkey. Threatening to kill a person with a sword that you don't have. While that person who you just threatened just saved your life from someone who actually does have a sword. Do you see the irony of that? You see, he threatened to kill his donkey. Oh, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. But you see, the donkey saved his life from the one who did have a sword. That is irony. That donkey is very familiar, or shall we say similar, to the Christian who is now serving God, warning the world with the gospel. You're warning the world with the gospel while the world hates the messenger. Today, our position before God is to serve those that hate us, to pray for those that despitefully use us, to stand in the way of those who oppose themselves, preaching the gospel, saying, will you not turn and see the hand of God that is against you? And yet, we pray that God would spare them. But they would say, if I had a sword, I would kill you. And many, in many places, do have swords. And people that serve God are dying today serving Him in this way. That's irony. So let's go on to these blessings. Let's see that Balaam wanted to curse the people of God because he was getting paid. But instead, God would not allow any words to come out of his mouth unless God said, this is what you're going to say exactly. Don't say anything else. Now you may say to yourself, well, why didn't he just curse them? Well, would you if you just lived through that? The Lord threatened to kill him if he did not do exactly what he said. And so Balaam makes this great uh, endeavor to make money by, by cursing God's people. And instead, God says, whenever you approach me, I will tell you exactly. And so these blessings are described as parables. Parables, that's, those are the, that's the prophetic blessing that came to the people. And so we're going to take a look at these specific parables. The first time that Balaam tried to curse him, Balak said, let's go up to a high place where I can show you the people of Israel. Now you can't see all of them. And if you recall, whenever Israel made a camp, they had the tabernacle, which be set up, and then they would have four tribes encamped on either side. So on every side you had four camps. So they could only see a fourth of the people of Israel, or four tribes. And when they were, went to a high place, it was a place designed where altars were already built and can be built to worship Baals. Now, I said Baals because there are many Baals. Baal is a word that just means the Lord. Now, I know that saying the Lord, it just means the Lord of the Canaanites. They had many different Baals, and so they would offer all types of sacrifices to these Baals. They had one Baal by the name of Astaroth, which was a female version of a Baal. They had one by the name of Moloch, who was a male version of a, of a, of a Baal. And then they had the big Baal that was in charge of all the other Baals, called El. 
As we can see, these places were set up in a way where when sacrifices are made, many types of profane and debauchery things would happen in the, in the form of worship. And when you worshiped a Baal, there would be, I don't know how to say this delicately, there would be a joining of the worshiper with the representatives of Baal, and there would be sexual immorality involved. And so what is happening in these places, now Balaam is meeting Balak in one of these places, and, Balak's, and Balak is saying, well, what do we do now? And Balaam says, build seven altars right here, right where you worship Baal, seven altars will offer seven, seven oxen and seven rams. And then we'll see what the Lord says. Well, they do so. And the Lord gives words to Balaam. And these are the words. Remember what I read before. From the top of the crags, that means he's on the top of a mountain, from these lofty heights from where they worship Baal, I can see from the hills I behold him. He's talking about Israel. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. We are like those people because we are God's people. The world can see us. We're not hidden. But we are not of this world. We're not citizens of this world. We are citizens of Christ's kingdom. And they view us that way. And therefore, God is going to bless us if we separate ourselves from the world, if we are not identified with the world. And then the blessing is this. Who can count the dust of Jacob? In other words, there's a lot of us. Oh, there are. We may be hidden here and there. We may not be that visible we may be small in number. Look at us here. We're not that many, but God's people are everywhere. Remember what the Lord said to Elijah. You may look like you're alone, but there are 7,000 who have not turned their and bowed their knee to Baal. There are 7,000. You, know, you don't see them. We have a lot of brothers and sisters in the world right now. They're everywhere. They're in China. They're in Russia. They're in North Korea. They're everywhere, and they are being persecuted. They're being identified. They're being lined up on a beach and having their heads cut off. They're being pushed off of cliffs in, in Korea back in the 50s. They are being identified in, as families in China and being arrested because they're having church. They're being identified as living in homes in Afghanistan and having numbers painted on their homes to identify them. They're everywhere. But the number is growing. Why? Because God is blessing his people. We are going to have a great number on that great day. There's a lot of us. And even the world, even the world will say this, what Balaam said, Who can count the dust of Jacob? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. They envy us, folks. They know that we have everlasting life, but they would rather serve, they would rather reign in heaven than serve in hell. I've said that all wrong. Let me say what Milton said. They would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Do you see? That's what they do. So if I say something crazy like that, look at me strange so I can fix it, okay? And so that's the first prophecy. Now, when Balaam got done, Balaam went up to him, what are you doing? You have totally blessed these people. And I'm paying you to curse them. And Balaam, out of fear, said, I cannot say anything else. The Lord gave me those words, and I cannot say anything else. And Balaam, uh, Balak says, let's go to another place. I'll show you a different portion. I'll show you a smaller group of people. Maybe you won't be so afraid. And so at that second location, which is another place where they offer sacrifices to Baal, this is the blessing that he gave him. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob. Now that means God has not seen his sin because they are covered. 
nor has he seen trouble in Israel. God will protect his people with all his providence. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of the king is among them. Now, they didn't have a king, did they? But the shout of the Christ is among them. We right now in this world, we do not have the Lord Jesus Christ physically with us, but he reigns with us. He is the king of this church. He is the king of all his people. He is our leader. God brings them out of Egypt, and he is for them like the horns of an ox. Look, we are all brought out of the slavery of sin. All of us here. We are the ones that have been brought out of Egypt. We are the ones now that are on the verge of going into the promised land. God will be for us. God will work for us. The horns of the gospel will work for us. Our weapons are spiritual. Our weapons is the word of God. When we do battle, it'll be against the sin of men. There is no enchantment against Jacob. There is no divination against Israel. Now that shall be said of Israel, what has God wrought? There is no curse that can curse us. Nothing. Let them curse. God will bring, turn it into a blessing. Behold a people. That's what he said. Behold a people. Well, Balaam, once again, blesses the people of God. And Balak about goes out of his mind. What in the world have he done? Let's just, let's try this one more time. Let me take you to another place. And again, they build seven altars, offer seven oxes, seven ram. And Balaam says, let me go see what the Lord says. And so when he comes back, the Lord says, do not say anything except the words I put in your mouth. And so when he comes back, he says this, how lovely are your tents. Hmm. Every one of us here, we live in a tabernacle, do we not? These bodies are going to fall. One day we're going to get new tabernacles. And you know what? God looks at us and says, how lovely are you? Isn't it nice to at least somebody believes that we are lovely on heart? Now, how lovely are your encampments? We encamp in this world. We are the children of God right here. And God is with us. Like palm groves stretched afar. We're like gardens by the river. What comes out of us is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and God provides a great wealth of water to us, the water of the Word of God. We are like cedars planted by the Word of God, and we draw our strength from Him. It says that our, our, our buckets will overflow with water. We have water for the world to drink. We have rivers of living water, and our King is greater than any of the other kings. God has brought us out of Egypt. He will be our defender. All these things, our enemies will fall down before us. Literally, their hearts will. The gospel will conquer the hearts of God's enemies. We used to be the Moabites. We used to be the Philistines. We used to be the haters of God. And now we have been captured and we are on his side. So after this, Balak says to Balaam, Look, look, just don't do anything. Don't bless, don't curse, just leave. Just leave. I don't want you to say anything. But Balaam says this, now before I go, I have to tell you one more thing, because God has put it into my mouth, and I must tell you. This is what he says in the very last thing. It's not a blessing, but this is a lesson that he taught Balak. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. What's he talking about? A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. He says to Moab, one day the Messiah is coming and he's going to come 
and he's going to reign in the hearts of men. He'll take on the flesh. All these things were very true. You may say, well, only a man of God can prophesy like that. No, God can put those words into the mouth of a donkey. He put the gospel into our mouths, did he not? And he can put the words into the mouth of Balaam. Beware of the error of Balaam. However, listen to the truth that comes from God alone. So the summary that we have when it comes to the blessings of Balaam is this. The number of the true children of God is very, very large. Do you know what the curse was supposed to be? Take these people and make them small and insignificant. Even now, the world wants to say, what can we do to get rid of the church? What can we do to get these people quiet? They're everywhere. They're ruining everything. We need to reduce their influence and reduce their numbers. And yet God says, that's not going to happen. Whenever governments or powers or influences of the devil in the world tries to destroy the world or try to destroy the church, I'm telling you, it's only going to do the opposite. He is going to turn the curse into a blessing. They will say, the true children of God, this is the blessing, the true children of God will maintain their spiritual integrity. Now the world wants the curses like this. If we can only corrupt them to become like us, they would be diminished. But God says, I will be their God and keep them and preserve them. We see that the corruption of the world says, I want them to praise the world, to praise the Baal, and I want I want the people of God to be destroyed, but the blessing is this. God will bless those who bless the true children of God. God will curse those who curse the true children of God. As you can see, every one of those blessings is the opposite of what Balak wanted. And it is the opposite of what the world wants today. When we understand that, we will now see why Nehemiah, when he was taken from Babylon to go and rebuild Jerusalem to build up those walls in preparation to rebuild that temple after they were taken away, he said this, I'm going to make it a practice to read the word of God in public to everyone. And on that day, they read the book of Moses and in the hearing of the people, and it was found written, this is what they learned by listening to the word of God, no Ammonite or Moabite, that's these people, will ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. And then this is what he said. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. So I want you to enter this new year understanding God is going to turn every curse against us into a blessing. So now I have a few practical lessons. We still have time. Got plenty of time. Don't worry about the food and everything. We have plenty of time. The greatest practical blessing or practical lesson that we can learn about this is that it reveals one of the most common themes that we can find in Scripture. And that is all things work together for the good of those who love God. Amen. All things work together. Because there will be designs against us. There will be curses against us. But God is actively taking action. He is going to make those curses into blessings. I'm going to read some Scripture from Romans just to establish the principle so that we can go on and give you some examples. The principle is this, <clears throat> Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God and all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You see, that is what we need in our hearts. We need to have this feeling, this understanding, this, this attitude that I know God is for us. Who can be against us? And we continue one more verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also him, uh, you know, with him graciously give us all things? So I'm going to give you two examples of that and that very same thing. Remember Joseph. Joseph. Remember how we talked about his apocalyptic dream, his vision, to where his mother and father would bow down, the sun and the moon. And his brethren would bow down the, the, the stacks of wheat and so on. And they said, we will never do that. And his brother sold him into slavery. He went down into Egypt. But God was with him, was he not? He rose into a great power in Egypt. But after he was revealed to his brethren, years later, Jacob died. After Jacob died, his brothers went into a panic and said, I think he was just being nice until Jacob died, our father. I'm afraid now that Joseph's going to get his revenge. And so they sought the face of Joseph saying, will you forgive us? And Joseph had such compassion on him. He cried and said, I will, you know, this is what he said to them. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Our hearts should always be toward those who misuse us or abuse us is to pray for them, to love them, to, to have within our hearts, they used to be us. Let's pray for them and know that. Let them not be afraid. All those church people, no, no, no. Let them understand that we love them, that we care for them. We used to be one of them. And you say, well, the Lord was just like that. You see, Joseph was an image of the Lord. But I want to give you even more information about the Lord. Listen to what our Lord endured. And he was in the very same position. I'm going to read from John chapter 11. And this is, this is just before the Lord is taken and is crucified. Lord, John chapter 11, verse 45. Now, it's, it's a little bit lengthy, but just stay with me on this. <clears throat> Many of the Jews, therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So you see the situation? The Pharisees are being formed of the great things that Jesus, that Jesus is doing. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man does many signs. So do you see what they're doing? They're planning. They're conniving. They're setting up a way of cursing Christ, of doing away with the Lord. For if we go, if, if, for, <clears throat> if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, how wrong is that? Can you hear the government now? If we let these preachers keep on preaching like this, everyone will believe in him. So what are they going to do? The same thing they did to our Lord. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Well, 
But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, now listen to what he says. Now, be aware he's the high priest. You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now, isn't that interesting that he should word it like that and that he should say that? And this is what John says. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Now, does that sound a little bit like Balaam? God put the words right in his mouth. They're there to kill Christ, to curse him. And yet God put the words right in the mouth of the high priest and prophesied and said something that was a blessing to us. Even now, when the world designs our demise, God will put into their mouth all that is needed for us to survive and be blessed. And not only the nation, but also to gather into one children of God who are scattered abroad. That's John speaking about what is happening. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And you may say, well, they didn't kill him, did they? Oh, yes, they did. But what happened from it? The atonement of our souls. And so, this is how God turns curses into blessings. So what are we to make of this? There's always going to be the work of the world and the devil against God's people. Why? Because we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and they do not. The world and the devil are constantly going to slander us, oppose us, curse us. But do not be discouraged. Do not worry. It has always been like that, and it will be our privilege to be involved in this. Because God is doing great things. God is doing the miracle of turning all those blessings, all those cursings into blessings. Some of the greatest blessings you're ever going to have will be the result of the world coming against you and of Satan coming against you. Because these things are going to be working to making you more like Christ. And it will be a great blessing. Only God can make all that is evil and designed to hurt God's people to eventually become an everlasting blessing. Only God can do that. And so we're coming up on a new year. No doubt, Satan wants to destroy this little church. Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to bring all types of unhappiness and depression and fear into your life. Now, there may be many things that you will wonder, why has God allowed this to happen? But we must understand also these things are designed to allow us to live by faith, to resist God, to live like Job did. So, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm going to end with just one more example of Scripture, and then I'll be done. Do you remember the events that happened around Haman and Mordecai? Remember that. Haman had a design to kill every one of God's people in the world. What a plan. Haman even built gallows to hang Mordecai, his mortal enemy, on. Put it up for everyone to see. I'm going to kill Mordecai, and then I'm going to kill all the Jews. But it was through the work of Esther that exposed Haman 
that he was the one that was plotting against the innocent. And Haman was hung on his own gallows. Now this is a principle that we need to get under our belt. Let me read the principle to you again from the scriptures themselves because they're taught many times. This is from the book of Proverbs, chapters 26 and chapters 28. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts rolling it. Chapter 28. Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. Do you see? It all says the same. The principle is the same. Do not fear, little flock. Nothing planned or invented against God's people, devised to bring them eternal destruction, can be successful. The very curses that are levied against us will turn into blessings. And so remember the words of Nehemiah. Yet your God turned the curse into a blessing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Holy Father, we ask now that you would give us the courage of Nehemiah, that you would give us the courage of all your people that you have visited in the past, that we might know that your hand is for us, that we might live courageous lives, that we would understand that though the world hate us because you loved us, all their cursings will be turned into blessings. We thank you, Lord, for all these things, and may we be counted worthy of persecution should you chose, choose to do so. Give us, Father, the heart of the valiant. May we be like David. May we be like all those heroes that are nothing more than people like us, saved by your grace. And so that's what we beg for now, the grace. And may your word be preached faithfully by your preachers and by your churches. And may all hear the word of Christ and may he be lifted up forever. May sinners be saved for your glory. We pray in our Lord's name.